Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Uh, a week, week from Saturday, Miami and Alabama will be on the air at 1130 a.m. 3.30 kickoff with the Canes in Alabama. Joining us now from the ACC Network is Dallin Cuff. Dallin was in town uh, yesterday for Miami's All Access and spent a lot of time with Coach Rick on campus. Dallin, thanks for being with us. Uh, what did you think of your tour of the University of Miami? Good to be on with you guys. Uh, it was great. Uh, I love Miami. Big fan. I've lived, lived in Fort Lauderdale for uh, 2016 and 2019. Not the same thing, but love South Florida. Um, but uh, the, the facility, you know, obviously, is just a couple years old, and, and being able to walk through with Coach Rick and understand what used to be there and how much effort it went into getting it built and um, like the, he, he really walked me through the whole thing, and obviously he, how much he loves that school and that program, I think, comes through all the time. Uh, but it may, like the physical manifestation of it is that building, um, because there is a no doubt, and has gone on for the last 15 years, you know, an arms race in college sports for the best facilities, the best gear. That all helps recruiting, and you need something like that. I mean, Miami's that facility is on par with anything in the league, with the exception of Clemson, Clemson, Alabama, much like their performances on the field have slightly better facilities than us, just about everybody else. Um, but Miami's facility is beautiful. Uh, the experience was great. Manny Diaz was great. A lot of the players were, were, were fun to talk to. Um, and I'll say Derek King, Michael Harley, you know, those guys are, they are smart, they're talented, and they're professional, and their approach to their craft, which is really impressive. Alan, you know, Coach Rick, he, he truly had uh, a big part of getting that facility built. Of course, him and, mm-hmm. and Carol Sofer, who was the uh, – the lead donor on that, and then Blake James, our athletic director. But Coach Rick knows every, where every nut and bolt is in that entire building. And I, I'll tell you, that's a legacy that we will long remember and appreciate that he left here at Miami. Uh, 100%. He told me through, he, he walked me through what used to be there and how what it used <laughs> right, to look like, right. what was going on. And I was like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was blown away by that because I, I think in some regard, like when, when you, you can lose sight of, how things are changing and how the game is evolving, what, what has given them their five national championship. It was giving them the best players. But as these kids in South Florida in particular, a lot of these five-star kids started going out of state and having those visits, it's hard to come back and not have that type of facility like that. It's hard to come and see like, oh, well, everything's outside. It's Miami. Like everything, we, we've got the weight room's not up to par. There is no indoor facility. You know, the coaches' offices aren't good. Like there's that stuff matters. And I don't think folks really understand how important that is. So, the legacy, to your point, that he will leave, yes, is the fact that, that that building is that physical manifestation of how much he cares about the program and then what he did to help put it in a better place and then let it move forward because it is – and he was, he was funny telling me, he, he's like the project manager. Yeah. He was on the phone every night talking about different stuff. Like, he's got the blueprint. Like, he's he was he was so in lockstep with that. And it was really cool for him to take me through that whole 
process. And for a while, we were watching practice in Manny Diaz's office, obviously because it was 1,000 degrees outside per normal. Um, and we're looking down, and he's recounting the entire experience as we're watching guys play and just the, the pride he had in saying it, the, the emotion that he felt a lot of different times yesterday um, was evident, and it was a special day. Well, I don't know that he told you this, but um, one of the first nights he was there, let's say within the first week or so that he was there, uh, myself and then the chief of police at Coral Gables, Ed Hudak, who's a former player with Coach Rick and I, we come back after dinner and he says, come on, guys, I want to walk you around the field out here. And he takes us out exactly where the, the facility is now and starts walking off and telling us what's going on. And Ed and I are, are looking at each other like, what's going on here? I mean, we've been talking about an indoor facility for, for 25 years, and, and this guy has it all already planned out, and he's been here two weeks. So he was on it since the day he hit campus. Yeah, he, he knew what the program needed. I mean, he was really aware of it. They were doing the same thing at Georgia, he was telling me, um, because they needed they know they needed to make that step as well as every program uh, has needed to do, a high-level program, whenever he eventually got let go there. And he was much more, I think, hands-on and completely, he was nothing was invested in the one in Georgia. I think it was just different, again, at Miami because of what it means to him. And he did say, yeah, he was walking off a yardage, making sure he's like, one of the first things he said is, like, we had to have eight yards from the sideline to the wall and to the padding because of protection and da 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 da. So like, like he like literally everything that went into that, all the thinking, all the specs, how the, how the offices overhang and to what level he was talking about the the actual level of clearance it had to be within like two yards. I mean it was it was bananas. I'm like this guy's coaching the team and not just any team. He's coaching the U. Like you got you're trying you're trying to get this team back to where it's supposed to be and he eventually got them back to a top five overall ranking and while while doing all this other stuff is man that is not easy. You know, to your point, Dallin, about how important it is, and maybe people didn't understand it, and I'm sitting here, and we were, we were having this discussion the other day, a couple of us, uh, Don and I, we, we do the coaches show, and a coach prior to Coach Rick, we were doing the show, and Don and I would be doing the stand-ups every week out by a fence. There was no indoor facility. We would mm-hmm. be outside, first of all. It was 100 Hundred degrees, so we're we're you know sweating profusely, and then, of course, then goes the lightning detector, <laughs> and cool. here comes the team marching by us, with said coach, cussing under his breath because there goes the team, no practice, into the wellness center, and I don't know if people really understood that you couldn't you just you could not practice football yeah. in the summer or before games this. You know, I don't know how many times Don and I were there before what would be a Miami-Florida State game or a big game, and there goes the team into the wellness center. To the basketball court. Basket- or yeah. to the basketball yeah. court, split up, half to the wellness center, half to the night sports complex. Yeah. And now I think about that, and I look at that indoor facility, and it's, it's mind-boggling the, the difference in what you have now. Hundred percent. It was funny. I, yeah, I didn't understand that that was uh, the impetus, really, for the for not just the resources we've already talked about, but from a physical standpoint, like a practicality standpoint. I mean, it lightnings every day down there almost. For you know, it's like if for four months a year, you're going to have lightning. I mean, this is what it is. And they were saying it's not even has to be that close. That alarm goes off, and they got to come in. But now they have to come in too. I can't imagine them to shut down practice. Like that's crazy to have to do that in game weeks again, where you're where you're supposed to be one of the best programs in the country and that, that without having the, those these things in place you're just not going to get there you're starting a race and you're 50 yards behind already so 
so that that is a, erase that gap. And now there's still you guys still got to get back from a talent perspective. But it was crazy to me that, that you couldn't practice just be over, or you like you said, you guys be different how you break people down, and it's just you could not actually operate is wild. Uh, now that you've had a chance to see uh, the campus, but also the team, we got a little game coming up here against Alabama. Uh, perhaps, uh, <laughs> what, are, what are some of your thoughts on where Miami's program is right now under Coach Diaz? I mean, I think they're in a good spot. I, I do think, obviously, the big question is around Derek. I mean, they bring back so much talent. I think they bring back like 91% of the production from last year. It's the second most experienced offensive line behind Minnesota in terms of starts. Uh, you got a lot of different defensive players back. I know you lose Phillips and Roche, but there's other talented guys. And, I mean, Zach McLeod, we had him on the show yesterday, another great young man, but a guy that uh, – talking to a bunch of different coaches there. We're, we're very bullish on his on how he's performing right now and his ability to play uh, in that D-end role as he's moved around to different spots in the defense. Um, but things, as always, do always come back to the quarterback. And Derek, hey, he's not wearing a brace. Uh, he looked great out there. He, he made a point of saying, saying at media days, he said it again to me yesterday, I'm 100%. There's nothing I can't do. And we're, I've said, have you taken a hit yet? He's like, no, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some of that, you know, in the next week or so. Um, but it is a different animal playing Bama. So that's something that, like, you can feel 100%. You can be 100%, but you got to be totally trusting of your body and confident. But some of those dudes are different. That defense will be better than it has been in the last couple of years. That'll look more like a Bama defense from five or six years ago than it has been really, which is an offensively reliant team the last couple of seasons. Um, and obviously they've done it well enough to win a national championship or two, but still – it used to be really built on defense. That group's going to be better. So how he performs, his ability to not take a big hit, not take big hits, but you're going to get hit, uh, and hopefully pop back up and keep rolling. And like I say, he is completely committed. He, he's a Heisman he's candidate for a reason. Um, and there are other talented people around him. And, and the wide receiver, wide receiver positions, obviously Mallory, tight end. And I mentioned the line. They have a lot of pieces there. What, what I'm hoping for, and I'm sure you guys are hoping for, and, and Coach Rick did correct me yesterday. I was trying to be – more of a realist than I think he wanted to want it to be at that point in time. I think they need to be competitive. Because when you look at last year in that game, look at last year, the two big-time spots they had, a Clemson game and the Carolina game, were embarrassing performances. And I think this team is capable of more. I think this team has more veteran leadership. I think they are more dangerous on both sides of the ball. And it's easier said than done in a neutral venue, but they've got to be able to compete with Alabama. And I think that will go a long way for their, their confidence, what they can become, and also for the league. It's, it's the only sport in, the, in the, our country where perception actually affects reality. If you're perceived to be good, then that affects your rankings, that affects how people look at you, and that affects who's in the CFP. So if they compete and they play well, and if, and if they win, it would be a whole different story. But just put, putting a best foot forward and giving Alabama everything they can handle will go a long way for Miami, but also for the league. You, Coach Rick, I believe, picked Miami to win the coastal side of the mm-hmm. ACC what are you, who, who's your pick, or what are your thoughts on who's going to be neck and neck on that side? I think it is those two, man. And I, I, it, it's tough right now. I think I was, the, the game that's going to be a huge decider is that game October 16th, which is in North Carolina. That's why I give a slight edge to Carolina. I think they have um, playing that game is going, I think, to be determining who wins the Coastal. Um, but where I think Miami's got to get to this year, and I think they will, is you win the games you're supposed to win and and, and, and convincingly. Now, you'll be some close calls, but there'll be more games where they go out there and I think they're able to dominate teams and, and, compl- and control games against weaker, op- weaker opponents. Now, within this league this year, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks have come back. They've got some talented players, and the rest of the country is going to realize that, particularly the quarterback position. But I think Miami is, I think them along with North Carolina are really good. North Carolina does have 
a huge game to start at Virginia Tech to open the season. So that might be that, that is going into Lane Stadium, which is going to be a full Lane Stadium. That you know, sandstorm they play, that thing is going to be wild when they walk in there. And they may be playing for behind the eight ball when they play the Hurricanes in the end when that game on the 16th. So we'll see how it goes. But I think that it is a two-horse race in my mind in the Coastal. Uh, and I do think either one of those teams on any given day can walk into Bank of, Bank of America Stadium in early December, and they could be Clemson. Uh, but you've got to get yourself to that point. You've got to be – got to get to that opportunity. And I think one of those two do it. I'm just not sure. I have to look, I'm, I haven't looked at who I might put some shekels on right there. I've not looked at the numbers closely. I usually look at the little futures action. We'll see how it goes there. But one of those two, two, two teams in my mind are gone. Dallin, you are a, a former student athlete, an Ivy Leaguer, Columbia basketball. Um, look into your crystal ball. What, what do you think football and basketball at the college level looks like in five years? It's uh, a great question. For football, they are two completely different animals. And, and the reason why is football is the only sport that operates outside the NCAA to, for, to crown a champion. So I think it's a, it's a matter of NCAA has already made themselves obsolete, guys. I mean, you know that they've not. They have not led on anything in the last 10 years. They let NIL, they, they, they end up holding on for dear life and just kind of just saying, okay, do whatever you want. Um, with NIL, they did not show any leadership. With the model of amateurism, they had to go to the Supreme Court. They lost, and they're going to continue to lose that battle. Um, there was no evolution. There was no desire to change with the times, to change with the culture, to change with all the money being just poured into this sport as a business and saying, okay, we have to change our business model because the business model has changed. Um, so they've lost their ability to lead, and I think they've made themselves obsolete. Mark Emmert has even said as much last month, saying the NCAA will make a step back. Maybe we have different governing structures. So I think football will operate totally on its own. I do think the alliance today, I don't think that really means much in terms of scheduling because for, like, the ACC guys, let's be real, and I'm, obviously I'm an ESPN Disney employee, ACC is locked into their media rights deal until 2036 with ESPN. That puts them at a pretty severe disadvantage economically. Right now they pay out in the mid 30 millions each school, SEC, when that new deal starts, is going to be in the 70 millions. Big time when they renew their rights in two years, it's going to be in the 70 millions. You know, the Pac-12, this alliance may actually help them a little bit because they have a chance to negotiate against maybe some other big games they can put together. They're going to be probably in a better position than the ACC. The alliance, I don't think, puts anything economically better for the ACC. There aren't going to be that many great matchups because they did say today they're not going to blow up any contracts. So if you don't eliminate existing contracts that are 10 years out, how many great marquee games can you create and events can you create that you can bring a media partner back to the table? So I don't think the ACC is going to benefit that much in that regard. What this alliance did do, I think, is stabilize things, which they mentioned a couple of times on the, the Kevin Warren and uh, Commissioner Phillips and uh, George Kliakoff mentioned a couple of times they want to stabilize things. I think they're at that point. I don't know what happens to the Big 12, but I do think they're not ready to blow this thing up yet. Maybe they have a little gentleman's agreement where they don't go poach everybody. So in five years, maybe it's four conferences we have probably a 12-team playoff. The SEC is in a really strong position. I'm not sure what the ACC is in terms of their monetary position, and that may cause them to maybe, you know, jump out of the alliance and look for themselves. Because right now, they are – I thought they had, had the biggest – they needed to make the biggest bold move, and I, I don't think they did that. I think they made a move to stabilize things, not to control – not to, you know, own their own future in this situation. And that's the decision they made. We'll see how it pays out. But I think in five years, you've got that going on on its total own. I do think each sport will have its own vertical kind of structure, and men's basketball will still be under the NCAA overall. NCAA may have a couple rules out there that everybody's got to follow across sports, but outside of that, each vertical runs their own stuff, does their own thing, and the NCAA is allowed to do the one thing they do well is put on their championships, mm-hmm. minus obviously all the inequality between the men's and women's basketball this year. That was egregious. 
But usually from a logistical standpoint, and obviously the contracts they, they manage, especially the men's basketball side with, with CBS and Turner, they put on their championships well. So that's what they're going to do for all the other sports. And football is going to do its own thing. And football may become a mini NFL because I'm not saying I want it that way. But when you read the decision from the Supreme Court this past year, um, this past summer, and Brett Kavanaugh's thoughts on it in particular, just crushing the model of amateurism and saying this is unpaid labor, they can no longer cap benefits for educational reasons. I think we're heading to a place where you no longer cap benefits across the board for anything. So if you want to pay a player, you're probably going to get to the point you can pay a player because the Supreme Court is probably going to uphold that type of structure. Uh, so we may end up there, maybe in five years, maybe in ten. Uh, but that's where I think we're, we're ultimately heading, for, for better or worse. All right, very good. Well, you did a really nice job on the show yesterday. Thanks for joining us here tonight. We appreciate it and look forward to talking to you in the future. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. All right, take care. That's uh, Dallin Cup from uh, ACC Network joining us. Did a great job. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, five years from now, I think college football might not be what we – know what know of college football what we the football we, will be close the the surroundings surrounding yeah <laughs> i have no idea what it's going to look like I, I think we're headed for some kind of you know pay and play situation as he just mentioned so i don't know if it's going to affect fans or not if they will care about that or not if they'll still you know different parts of the country are attracted to college football for different reasons down here it's kind of your second pro team mm-hmm. university of miami is just kind of the the team of the neighborhood here right yeah. and it's ingrained in our fiber of south florida at other places east lansing michigan it's kind of a reunion every weekend well the other side of it is that concerns me is i don't want to lose the rivalry part of it there's there's historic games that have been played yeah. for a hundred years and and i don't want to see that go away you know the other part of it you know, it's it's in the court's hands, right? That, that, that's what's going on there, and and it's obviously going to change financially. Um, and then and then you just take his number that the Southeastern Conference is going to go to seventy million. Everybody else, well, the ACC's at thirty million. That's a big difference. Big difference. They By the way, forty million dollars yeah. to play with. He, he uh, before we go to the break, he did say, uh, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech is going to have a full house next Friday for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That will be a great way to start the college football season off. Now, I guess UCLA plays Hawaii this weekend. But nonetheless, uh, the Sandman entrance is pretty good. Yeah. When we're there, it's pretty good. And the University of Miami had a game, I think it was 2011. The Miami scored late. Canes had the lead. Then their quarterback, Virginia Tech, ran in at the end of the game. They kicked off. Lamar Miller, I think it was, returned the kickoff about 35 yards. And then we were in the desperation mode. I think uh, Miami had like three plays left. And they started doing that damn Sandman again, bouncing up and down at the end of the game. It was, uh, I have to say, it was it was wild. It was really cool. Even though it was against our team, it was really cool. And that, that place was like a trampoline. Right, they were jumping up and Our down. Our box was jumping up. Our and down. box is moving left and right and kind of swaying, and they started up the Sandman with 20 seconds to go in the game, and that darn Lamar Miller, he went one way, he went the other way, and he was a tackler too, a shoestring tackler, or so away from getting down the field. We could lose. We could use Lamar 
again and again and oh, again. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great football player. Yeah, that was a that was a Killian, lot of fun. right? Where did he, didn't he go to Killian? Yeah, he, he went to Killian. Killian. Yeah. There you go. 